Let's turn to Hosea chapter 4. And we're going to begin with probably the most recognizable verse of the book of Hosea, and that's verse 6. We're going to begin reading there. Verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. That thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. As they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore will I change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people, and they set their heart on their iniquity. And there shall be like people, like priests. And I will punish them for their ways and reward them their doings. For they shall eat and not have enough. They shall commit whoredom and shall not increase. Because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. Whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. Now there were three things, <clears throat> excuse me, there were three things that the Lord charged the nation of Israel, and I'm talking about the northern kingdom of Israel, <clears throat> at that time the nation that had been begun by Jeroboam, when they detached themselves from the southern kingdom, when it was at one time one kingdom, they went north. He usurped the authority of a king because he was not of the line of David. And they began to worship idols. And so the whole northern kingdom of Israel was wrong from the very beginning. But there were three things that God charges them generally with. And that you find back in verse 1, where it says that the Lord had had a controversy, actually a contention against them, and begins to charge them in a very legal way, as if in a courtroom, with, with these particular charges. But the, the, these were the, the three general things. He said, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. And then he goes into specifics. He talks about no truth, but yet they were swearing and they were lying one to another. There was no mercy because they were showing no mercy one to another. It was every man for themselves. It was every person for themselves. Whatever they can get, they give for themselves. But if someone was poor, well, they were unfortunate then. This was in complete contrast to the law of God that had been given to them to care for their neighbor, to love their neighbor as themselves, to take care of them, to take care of the less fortunate. There was none of that in the land. And the third thing was there was no knowledge of God in the land. It was not only the fact that they didn't know about God, they didn't know God because they didn't want to know God, as we'll see digging deeper into our text tonight. So in our last study, we, we left off dealing with the people of the northern kingdom of Israel, the 10 tribes that I said detached themselves and went north. And they were being charged by God with blaming others, the priests and the prophets, instead of accepting responsibility. But that went both ways. The people were saying it was the priests and the prophets. The priests and the prophets were saying, well, the people were doing it. So they were both guilty of that. And instead of accepting responsibility for their own behavior and admitting their own guilt and their sin, they continued on in their sin. But this charge was not leveled singularly, as I said, upon the people alone. The religious leaders who should have lived righteously, who should have set godly examples before the people, did the very opposite. They claimed to be the servants of God. 
But sin was the pattern of their very lives. Sin was the pattern of their lives. And thus their, their sinful lifestyle would lead to the destruction of their people and hence the destruction of their whole nation. We see that in verses 4 and 5 of, of this chapter where it says, Yet let no man strive nor reprove another. That is, don't be putting the blame on others. You're committing the sin. You're, do, you, you need, you're responsible for it. But then he says, For thy people are as they that strive with a the priest. Therefore shalt thou fall in the day, and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night, and I will destroy thy mother, the mother being the nation of Israel. So what is tragic then is that people, in observing the lives of the priests and of the prophets, felt justified in following their behavior and their teachings. In other words, the priests and the prophets were leading the people away from the Lord, never closer to him. And as a result, the people lacked that true knowledge of God. They, by the way, the reason that they didn't acknowledge God was because they had stopped looking at the Word of God. They had stopped reading the Word of God. They had stopped using the Word of God in their worship. Well, how are you going to do that when the Word of God says don't worship idols? And that's what they did. So the Word of God was set aside. So the people lacked a true knowledge of God. They took God away from the people. And even though the people knew the facts about the Lord, they didn't know him personally, neither as their savior, nor as their deliverer, nor as their redeemer, nor as the Lord and master of their lives. They didn't know him that way. And as the priests and prophets stumbled and sinned day and night, so the people stumbled and sinned day and night as well. It was a nation of sin. There, were no, there was no choice left for the Lord. And because of that, he promised judgment. He promised judgment upon the nation for the leader's sinful lifestyle if they didn't repent and return to him. And by the way, throughout the book of Hosea, we'll see that the Lord called them to repent. He called them to return, to come back to him. The prophets of that time, you could, you could include uh, the, the other uh, <clears throat> contemporary uh, prophets in the north and in the south. All of them called these people to repent, but they would not. And so God promised upon the nation judgment for the lifestyle of these leaders, the ones who have, as, as Jesus himself had mentioned, the blind leaders of the blind. <clears throat> and the Lord will not break his word. You know, when God promises something, you know, People will say, well, this is a threat. Well, no, God doesn't threaten. He, he promises. Now, if we repent, yes, he'll, 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 he'll not follow through. But how many times has he called for repentance and he has to judge anyway? Judgment would have to come upon the whole nation for all had now fallen. Let's read this text again, verses 6 through 11. And, and I want you to notice the condemnation on the priests as we go through this. And then I want you to notice another phrase, the phrase, my people. Begins, in fact, in verse 6 with those two words. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge... I will also reject thee. There, there is this law or this principle of retribution with God. It's something that I've mentioned many times, being that principle that we find often in the book of Proverbs and other places as well, where people are evil and they go out and they dig 
traps for others to fall into. And God says, you know, you're going to keep digging traps for others, but you're the ones that are going to fall into it yourselves eventually. Eventually, your sin will come back and get you. That's, that's that particular law or principle, as it were. But notice what he says, because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. Now, that's pretty heavy because that's going to be something done in the last day. In the, la in the judgment of the last day and of the last times. I also will reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing, that, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. How can you be a priest if you've forgotten the law of God? I will also forget thy children. As they were increased, in other words, as they prospered, as they grew, whether they increased in numbers or they increased in prosperity, as they increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore will I change their glory into shame. The glory that people have nowadays, oftentimes for, for being prosperous. Folks, the things that we have, we have because God has given them. We only prosper because he gives us what he wants us to have. And I can, I can say that, listen, what we have humbles us more than exalts us. And it brings us back to that place where it says, he who humbles himself will be, will be exalted in due season. I, don't have, I have nothing to boast in. If, if the Lord provides something for me, for my family, for you, for your family. Listen, who do we have to boast in? Us? The only thing that we can do is continue to give thanks to God. Thanks to the Lord. For he is good and his mercies endure forever. He'll turn that glory into shame. Who can stand before God? when they have exalted themselves, thinking that they are the ones that have prospered. Verse 8, they eat up the sin of my people. An interesting phrase here, where literally it, they feed on the sin of God's people. The priests and the prophets fed on the sins of God's people. They themselves prospered because of their idolatry. And they brought the people into their idolatry. And if you can remember the, uh, the, uh, the thought that uh, the, the very forms of idolatry of uh, Baal worship or Baal, Baal or Baal worship was worship of a fertility type of God. Fertility not only in the sense of human uh, reproduction but, but, but also fertility as far as the land was concerned. And God allowed them for a time this prosperity. Because remember, they never called upon the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for that. They went directly to two places. We'll see them later. Down in the south it was Bethel, or which was called Beth Aven. We'll see that. Uh, in a moment, and up north it was in, in the place called Dan, where they erected these uh, altars of sacrifice. And they worshipped a golden calf. So they were prospering because the people now bought into all of this. And they set their heart on their iniquity. Now, when you set your heart on the iniquity of people, and they're beginning to follow you into those sins, what do you think you expect them to do now? You expect them to sin more, right? Because that's really the only direction you can take them. They think they're going up. They're going down. That's the direction that sin takes you. And then it goes on and it says, and there shall be like people, like priests. We've often heard the expression, like father, like son. Well, we're not really talking about that here like people, like priests. And he says, and I will punish them for their ways. 
and reward them their doings. That, that, that's not a, uh, a statement to confuse. He punishes them for their ways. He rewards them for their doings. What are they doing? Sin. So they get rewarded for their sin. In a good way? No. In the worst possible way. And notice in verse 10 it says, For they shall eat and not have enough. They eat and eat and they just can't get filled. They shall commit whoredom and shall not increase. The more they moved into that kind of worship, the more they moved into idolatry, and of course idolatry and, and, and all of these other uh, uh, things, uh, adultery and, and sexual promiscuity and uh, pornography and everything else, everything that was, uh, that was included in the worship of their golden calf, of their idols, whatever it might be, all of it was not going to bring any increase to the land eventually both uh, in, in the sense of what the land was going to produce for them it was not going to give them more people for their nation and that was really just obvious they stopped living the kind of family lives that God wanted them to have the kind of relationships that husbands and wives were supposed to have it stopped. And here's the reason, because they have left off to take heed to the Lord, which means they have stopped obeying the Lord. They just stopped obeying the Lord. And then in verse 11 it says, whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. And the phrase take away literally means to steal it. It steals the heart. And in, and in effect, it makes slaves of their hearts. Slaves of their hearts to sin. In the book of Romans, Paul tells the church not to let sin have dominion over you. Not to let sin have dominion. That, that's, that's saying that sin is going to lead you, going to guide you, going to direct you. He says, don't let sin have dominion. Who should have dominion over us today? Our God, the one true God, and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is to have dominion in our lives. That's who we surrendered to when we became believers in Jesus Christ. We surrendered to Jesus Christ. We surrendered to what he did for us on the cross. We surrender to the blood of Christ that it would be that which would cleanse us from our sins and bring forgiveness to our lives, which the law had no capacity to do when you think about it. The law is just that which shows us how bad we are. The law is good, folks. Read Psalm 19. The law is good. It's a, it's a good thing to know. It's a good thing to have. But the law does not forgive. And it was by the remission of sins that came through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on our behalf that we have forgiveness. We're not to be slaves. We're not to let the enemy steal, steal, and make slaves of our hearts anymore. So first, first notice that in verses 6 and 8, and again in verse 12, that the Lord refers to Israel as my people. This can only reflect the loving heart of God toward his people. I once heard it said that the amazing love of God will not let us go, will not let us down, and will not let us off. I want to repeat that because I don't want you to miss this. The amazing love of God will not let us go, will not let us down, and will not let us off. 
That's for our good, folks, that God's love will not let us off. Now, the very phrase, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, is a reminder to all of us that ignorance is never accepted as an excuse. It isn't an excuse in a court of law. And it isn't an excuse before the Lord God who created the heavens and the earth. Ignorance is not an excuse. As citizens, we are expected to acquaint ourselves with the law by which we will be judged. But Israel was not merely guilty of, of simple ignorance. Please, please don't think that. They, they were just ignorant. Israel was guilty of deliberate, calculated ignorance. There's a major difference. They were guilty of deliberate, calculated ignorance. That is, she chose to be ignorant of God. It was a choice. In fact, the people, the priests and the prophets, along with the self-made princes of Israel, right? The kings of Israel, the kings of the northern kingdom, none of them were of the line of David. How could they be kings of Israel? That's the biggest irony of this whole division of this land. Israel chose to be ignorant of God, and the people, the priests, the prophets did not want to know God. There are none so blind as those who will not see. There are none so blind as those who will not. It's a matter of the will, not of ability, but of the will. There are none so blind as those who will not see. And verse 9 becomes God's verdict upon Israel. And there shall be, like people, like priests, and I will punish them for their ways and reward them their doings. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans about those who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever, he concluded his discourse with these words. And I want you to look at them, Romans chapter 1. I want you to turn there, and I want you to mark these or highlight them. I don't know what you do in your Bibles. My Bibles are all marked up because I, I don't want, I, when I open a page, I want to see it. Right, I want to go right straight to it. But in Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32, speaking of those that began to worship the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever, amen. Paul says, toward, well, they're at the end of this particular chapter. He says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, what does that say? even as they did not like to retain, they didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. Just like the children of Israel that were living in the, in the northern kingdom. God gave them over. You want to do this? Then here you go. He gave them over to a reprobate mind. The word reprobate in the Greek is the word adokimos, which means worthless, unapproved, and rejected. He gave them over to a worthless mind, an unapproved mind, and a rejected mind. And he gave them over to this reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, which means it's not fitting. It's not becoming of a person who was created in the image of God. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication. Notice what it begins with here. Many times when Paul writes these lists of, of the sins of the people, of the Old Testament as well as the New, it always comes back to something having to do with fornication, with wickedness, and idolatry. But notice all unrighteousness being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, 
By the way, this should take us back to that one verse that we read there in chapter 4, verse 1 of Hosea. There's no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. That's now in Paul's time. Is it not in ours? Probably more now than ever before. Whispers, the last word there in verse 29. Gossipers. 30. Backbiters, haters of God. Whoa. Haters of God. Please do not be naive and think that, well, you know, most people love God, whoever God is for them. Folks, there's only one God, and the fact of the matter is most of the people on this earth hate God. Despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Wow. We think that we are such a highly technological society today. And the more I, I look into what people want to do with the technology that is that has been given to us, uh, the more I realize that people are always looking for ways to use it in a way that would only either please the flesh or destroy the flesh. And both in, in, in not very good ways. Disobedient to parents. That's nothing new. And it's been enhanced a lot by the way kids learn in schools today, sadly. Without understanding, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. No understanding. Covenant breakers, without natural affection, having no true heart for people. It also reflects a, 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 an unnatural affection that people are having towards each other nowadays. Implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, and get this, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do, them, do the same, but have pleasure in them to do them. That brings us back now to the priests, the prophets, and the people, taking pleasure in what everybody's doing, but no one is doing what they should do before a, before a holy God. How sad that is. Even sadder today, when people who claim some kind of connection to Jesus Christ or some kind of connection to the church, whether it's churchianity or Christendom or whatever, it's not true Christianity unless we truly love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ because our hearts have been radically changed. Our hearts have to be radically changed. Why? Because we were dead. Now we're alive. Would you not say that there's a big difference between being dead and alive spiritually? There's not, there's not any middle road here. <laughs> there's no way that you can walk the line. I mean, there's, there's, there's no, no man's land, you know. You can't take a little bit of the good from one side to the other because on one side there's no good at all. On the other side there's only good. I don't know where people get some ideas nowadays. They have pleasure and then they do evil. There's another way that you can actually do that and that is to turn your, your head away from that evil and not do anything about it. We watch things on YouTube or Facebook, and well, I don't want—I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah, sometimes I get a little bit upset, but there's only one direction sometimes that the Lord leads me—not not sometimes, all the time. It leads me to get on my knees and pray, because this nation, as 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 a nation, is is suffering in a lot of ways worse than the northern kingdom of Israel. And it's prime for judgment. 
Another admonition given by Paul, this time to the Ephesians, <coughs> is actually worth hearing. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 20, just listen to this. You may want to mark it in your Bibles as well. But in uh, Ephesians 4, verse 17, it says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Don't walk. Now, now walking, again, is an action that we see in the scriptures that uh, illustrates the life that we live. We are not to walk as other Gentiles walk. And, and the, Gentile, uh, that's or the Gentiles that are mentioned here is, is not just talking about people from the, from the national, uh, nationalistic position, you know. It's talking about Gentiles who are not believers. It's talking about those who are not believers at all. Okay. And we know that from the text, from the context of the text. It says that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. <clears throat> this is the distinction, folks. Remember this. There are three, there are three distinct peoples, peoples in the world. There are the Jewish people that God raised up to be his own. There are, there's everybody else. We call them Gentiles on, on a very general level. But the Bible then says there's a third group. That group is made up of both Jew and Gentile. And they are the body of Christ. They are the church of the living God. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you fall into that category. You're no longer as the Gentile that you might have been walking as Gentiles walk. So understand it from that perspective. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. The worthlessness of their mind is to walk according to the ways of the world or according to the ways of the flesh or according to the ways of the enemy. And then he says, having the understanding darkened. Remember, understanding and knowledge really walk hand in hand here. So the knowledge that we read about, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, is because they rejected knowledge, therefore they have no understanding. So having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, that is, lusts of the flesh, to work all uncleanness with greediness. And then he says to the church, but you have not so learned Christ. Now that you've come to Christ, you have not learned that kind of attitude, that kind of way, that kind of distinction from those who believe in Jesus. So the question, have, how, have we, how have we so learned Christ then? How have we so learned Christ? That, I mean, that's an important question in light of our study of Hosea, for indeed we have the potential for the same types of falls even in the church, don't we? We have the same potential for the same type of falls. Or I should say we have the potential for the same type of falls even in the church. I mean, consider, if you will, these passages Remembering as well the longer list given by Paul in Romans 1, which I asked, I think, asked you to read last week. I hope you all read Romans 1. If you didn't read it again today, the whole chapter from verse 18 down. But uh, we're not going there. We're, there's another list, we're gonna, a couple of lists we're going to look at. Look at the list in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. And again, when Paul begins these lists, notice what he starts the list with. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Don't be deceived, brethren. Neither fornicators, that's sexual sin, nor idolaters. Well, there it is right there. He never separates idolatry from Sexual sin, they, they go hand in hand. It even goes deeper, just as it went in the northern kingdom, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. That's a sexual sin, folks. 
We've got, we've got a, the devil conditioning the minds of so many people in this earth that, well, effeminate, that's just the way somebody feels, you know, they, they, they feel that they're this or that. Well, that has gone way beyond that, hasn't it? Way beyond this thing about, well, I feel I am. And you are what God made you. But here's the thing. Nowadays, now we, we got, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a, a male physically, but I feel I'm a woman inside or whatever. Yeah? Well, if you had told me you were a pig, I'd, you know, what would I say? No. You might feel that way. That's not what you are. Because that's not what God made you. It's very clear. So I'm trying to, you know, this is not a matter of hate speech, folks. That's the other thing that they're doing. Oh, is this hate speech? Bunch of idiots, man. I'm sick and tired of that. We stand on the word of God always. And it's not because we hate people. It's because God is truth and given us the truth. But here's the problem with, look at the next phrase, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That really got a lot of people in trouble back at the, at the, at, at the beginning of, of creation. Just read Genesis chapter 6. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Whoa! Such were some of you. But you are washed. Do you notice the tense here? You are washed. You are washed. Not were washed. You are washed. Yes, you were washed, but now you are washed. But you are sanctified. Ah, set apart made holy. But you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Justified. No longer in that position of having to suffer for the sins that you committed all your life. Some people have said justified is just as if I never sinned. That's kind of a good way to look at it, I suppose. Justification goes a little deeper, but that, 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 that's a pretty easy way to understand it. We are now just as if we had never sinned, not because of anything we did, not because of anything we've done, because we could not do anything to be saved. Jesus saved us. And we looked to the cross, and we looked and saw what Jesus did on that cross for us, because that cross was for you and for me. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I've got to pick it up now. I'm going to end overdrive now because I'm getting behind schedule. Ephesians 5 verses 3 through 8. Here's the list again, another list. But fornication and all uncleanness, and that word really is tied into the sexual aspects of all of that. Or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking. Well, there's a lot of that going on in the world today, wouldn't you say? You can't turn on the TV without having the people foolishly talking about things, especially politics. Wow. Neither filthiness, and there's a lot of filthiness on TV today too, uh, fault, foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not fitting, convenient, but rather giving of thanks. How many people are really giving thanks today to God for all that we are and all that we have? I mean, the church should, but I wonder if anybody else does. It always brings me back to that thought about thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is truly, folks, I have to tell you, Thanksgiving is truly a Judeo-Christian uh, uh, day. It, it, it reminds us that we, we should all at one time give thanks to God for all that he's done for us. But here's the fact of the matter. Many, many homes, you know, they celebrate Thanksgiving too. And they get all together and they get the big turkey and they put, you know, and then, and then there is the bird on the table too. But I mean, they get turkeys together. It was a joke. 
Anyway, so they get, they get the big turkey on the table, you know, and they just, you know, they laugh and they go watch football and they eat and they gluttonize and they do all these things, you know. And then they sit around the table and, you know, they, they say, well, listen, this is a day of thanks. What are we thankful for? I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for my Mustang. I'm thankful for, you know. Jeez. But they never say, God, thank you. Lord, thank you. I thank you for the Dallas Cowboys. No, I'm just kidding. You know, I, just, I just want to see you know, if I ruffle any feathers. I don't know. You don't want to be thankful for them until they win the Super Bowl. Okay, enough of that. The point is, they never say who they're thankful to. It's not a day just to be thankful to whom or to what. It's a day for us to be thankful to the God who created us and made us and gave us everything that we have, everything that we need for life and godliness because of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Amen? Wow, I'm getting behind, aren't I? Okay, here we go. Verse 5, for this you know, that no whoremonger, what's been happening in, in, in Israel uh, during the time of Hosea, there was a lot of whoremongering, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, there is that word again, <clears throat> have any inheritance <clears throat> in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words empty words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Don't be a partaker with those who are disobedient to God. For you were sometimes darkness. Yeah, all of us were sometimes darkness. But now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Folks, we're getting the same admonition that was given to the nation of Israel to be careful and to walk carefully, circumspectly, as Paul said, knowing what's all around us. Why? Because the day of Christ is near, and it's worse now than it's ever been before. Moving on into the next section of Hosea 4, when the Lord refers to Israel again as my people, he, he does so in the context of their idolatry and their unfaithfulness to the Lord. Look at verse 12 now. Uh, okay, I want to really try to, I really want to finish, okay? We're going to finish this chapter. My people ask counsel at their stocks. Interesting. What, what does it mean? It, it, the word stocks there in the Hebrew is, is a word that has to do with wood. Uh, so they're, they're asking they're asking Woody <laughs> for counsel. It's an idol. My people ask counsel at their stocks, and their staff declareth unto them. You know the staff here is speaking of a rod? It's a wooden rod. Some have used it like divination to, you know, to find water. You know, they go out there with these. This kind of looks like a Y, and they, you know, go in and, well, there's water here, you know, whatever. You know, or, or they use it in a different way. I'm going to mention another thing in just a moment. But that's, that's what it's saying. They're doing all these things rather than seeking the God who knows all things and will give us all things if we just ask. And he says, their staff declareth unto them, for the spirit of whoredoms has caused them to err. In other words, they've gotten so much into the activity of their religion, the activity of their religious actions in this idolatry, that they no longer trust God. They've gone a-whoring from under their God. They sacrifice upon the tops of the mountains and burn incense upon the hills under oaks and poplars and elms because the shadow thereof is good. A good place to hide and do all of this stuff. And therefore, your daughters shall commit whoredom and your spouses shall commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they commit whoredom nor your spouses when they commit adultery for themselves are separated with whores and they sacrifice with harlots. Therefore, the people that doth not understand shall fall. I'll explain that in just a moment. Instead of seeking the Lord for help in, in times of need, the people sought their so-called gods. Sadly, they expected an answer to their prayers from a stick of wood or some other inanimate object, which, which was totally foolish. From divination, as I mentioned earlier, to practices such as rhabdomancy, which is spelled R-H-A-B-D, 
O-M-A-N-C-Y, rhabdomancy, <laughs> in which a wooden rod was used to reveal the future. Uh, and they would draw this big circle, and then they would, uh, they would section off the circle with like little pie shapes, you know, and, and they would just take the big stick out there, you know, this uh, rabda, rabdom, which is, which is uh, Greek for uh, wood, a stick. <laughs> And they would just sit it there, and then they would just hold it, and then they'd let it fall. And wherever it fell, you know, they would designate every pie shape, you know, as something that, uh, you know, the, you know, their future would, would, would hold for them. So, you know, uh, that's, that's, a, that's what they did. That's called rhabdomancy. Uh, so uh, they were involved in all of that kind of stuff. They were engrossed in idol worship and practice. That was part of it. And the sad thing is, the more the people sinned, the more food the priests enjoyed. The more shrines the people built, the more they and the priests could indulge in the lusts of the flesh. That's why they fed upon the people's sin. Because the more the people got into these things, the, you know, the, the more prosperous it was for the priests. But the results were destructive. The ceremonies and the rituals did not accomplish anything simply because the Lord would cause the population and the produce to decrease instead of increase. I mentioned that earlier. Moreover, the priests' own daughters and daughters-in-law would become shrine or temple prostitutes and commit adultery themselves. I mean, the, 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 you talk about the way of the family going psh, awry. Their sins would bring judgment to their families and to the land. Now, some might say, well, it, it couldn't have been that bad. I mean, worse things must be happening today. Well, that may be so. That may be so. But I want you to turn to Psalm 106. Psalm 106. Because this is reflecting how bad things were in the days of the kings, especially in the northern kingdom of Israel. Psalm 106, verse 34. It says, they did not destroy the nations. The children of Israel at times did not, dis did, did not obey the Lord when, when the Lord brought them into the land. There were certain nations they left alone. If they had uh, uh, judged them as God wanted to, uh, it would have eradicated some of the things that they embraced. So they did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. And they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Now here they have one God, one true God, who followed, who, who was uh, actually led them. He was a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And, and they should have feared him because of the great power that he exhibited whenever they needed anything, water. He gave them water. If they needed food, he gave them food. They should have responded to that with praise and thanksgiving. Instead, they, they responded with murmuring and complaining. So here they are, going among the heathen, learning their works. They serve their idols, which were a snare unto them. Verse 37, yea, they sacrifice their sons and their daughters unto devils. Folks, that's still happening today. And shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrifice unto the idols of Canaan. Molech and even Baal, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus were they defiled with their own works, and went a-whoring with their own inventions. And therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people, insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance. And he gave them into the hand of the heathen, and they that hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them. You know, when it says that they that hated them ruled over them, they ruled over them in a very harsh way. They, they, they didn't just kind of let them, you know, you're, you're under our care, you're our slaves now. No, they mistreated them. God will judge them for that, of course. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Many times did he deliver them. But they provoked him with their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. There is mention in verse 13 of the people sacrificing. That, that's uh, 
of chapter 4 of Hosea, verse 13, of people uh, sacrificing upon the tops of the mountains and burning incense upon the hills and under oaks and poplars and elms because the shadow thereof is good. Aside from the fact that the shadows were a good place for the prostitution to take place, even though orgies were also practiced, which means all of that was out in the open, but it was still above. Uh, the greater reason for the location of being above on the mountaintops and all uh, had to do with the nearness to what they considered were the heavenly hosts which they worship. I want you to remember Babel and the Tower of Babel reaching up into the heavens, reaching up as to say, hey, we can get there ourselves. We don't need you, God, to get us there. Well, listen to what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. These are the statutes and judgments which you shall observe to do in the land which the Lord God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it. Now remember, this is the law. This is Deuteronomy. This is actually, Deuteronomy means a second law, the second law or the second time given. So. There are, uh, these are the statutes which you shall observe to do in the land which the Lord uh, God of thy fathers uh, giveth thee to possess it all the days that you live upon the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which you shall possess serve their gods upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree. And you shall overthrow their altars and break their pillars and burn their groves with fire. And you shall hew down the graven images of their gods and destroy the names of them out of that place, you shall not do so unto the Lord your God. So it was in the law. They were not supposed to practice this, but they were also to destroy those places. Some of the kings in the, in the, in the southern kingdom uh, of Judah and Benjamin, the southern kingdom, some of the kings did that. Other kings did not, because in the southern kingdom, there were good kings and bad kings. The northern kingdom, they were all bad, all bad. The mention of daughters and spouses in verses 13 and 14 is significant, especially because of what is said. Children usually follow the example of their parents. Consequently, the daughters of the priests, as well as of the citizens, were following in the footsteps of their parents and becoming immoral. Furthermore, the wives of both priests and laymen were committing adultery. But note what God says. He says justice will prevail. In most cases, the daughters would not be punished more for their immoral ways because the fathers and men of the nation were the basic cause for their immorality. That's why he says in verse 14, I will not punish your daughters when they commit whoredom, nor your spouses when they commit adultery. It's not to say that they won't be judged. They were already judged, folks. They were already judged by God. It was already in the books, as it were. The fact is he would not judge them anymore because they weren't responsible in the sense of being brought into this because of their, their parents or their fathers. The men of the nation, both priests and laymen, were seducing the women to have sex. Burning with passion, the priests and men did all they could to attract and entice the women to fulfill their sexual urges. Sadly, most of the women gave in and became adulterers before the Lord, breaking his holy commandment. And as a result, God said that he would destroy the nation. The people had forgotten one of the basic underlying principles of human life. A people who fail or refuse to understand the truth will be destroyed. A people who fail or refuse to understand the truth will be destroyed. Now I have to ask you this question because we're almost, we're almost to the end here. But I have to ask you the question, do you believe then? By just looking at this one particular chapter alone, do you believe then that it is important to teach the Word of God, that it is important to stay in the Word of God. We have to say yes. And what saddens me more than anything else in this world is that in much of the church today, you can walk into churches. I've done this going out of town, visiting other, other places outside of Calvary chapels. I've gone into churches 
no one carrying a Bible except me. <laughs> uh, the, the one verse of scripture might be talked about. There's entertainment. There's the there's a countdown on the back wall. There's 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 smoke coming out of the this front of the stage. I'm not joking. I mean, it's, it's like, and then the worship team comes up. Boom, right when it says zero, zero, zero on the clock, man, they start playing. You know, it's, it's like, it's so timed. It's so fake. It's so like, what are you doing? God needs to be honored. God needs to be glorified. Our God needs to be worshiped and praised above all other gods because there are a lot of gods that man has made and continues to follow. It's just sad that, you know, we, we've gotten to this place where we become seeker-friendly instead of God-focused. We need to be God-focused. We need to be Christ-focused. We need to trust the Lord with all of our hearts, and we need to worship Him as we've never worshiped Him before. Every week, let's worship him like we've never worshiped him before. There's a warning now given to Judah in Hosea chapter 4. I think I'm going to make it. Hosea 4, verses 15 through 19. Though thou, Israel, play the harlot, yet let not Judah offend. And come not ye unto Gilgal, Neither go you up to beth nor swear, the Lord liveth. For Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. Isn't that interesting? Israel will slide back as a backsliding heifer. And that, that's, that, that's not just an indication of what a heifer would do when it doesn't want to go in the direction of its master. You know, the master's pulling this way and the heifer's doing this. No, it's an indication that they slide back. It's the irony here that on their altars of worship, they had golden calves. For Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. Now the Lord will feed them as a lamb in a large place. You would think that doesn't sound right. I mean, he's condemning them in a sense, but now he's saying, oh, there he's going to feed them. Uh, as a lamb in a large place. Do you know what, what you need to understand about this verse? He's actually putting them out in a place where they think they're comfortable. A large place is for cattle, not for sheep. Sheep are better held in a smaller place because they're more protected that way. To be in a large place, they're out there in the open for all of the scavengers to come and get them. Do y'all see what's happening here? So don't consider that as being, well, you know, well, he's going to feed them, but he's condemning them? No. Because he goes on and says in verse 17, if Ephraim is joined to idols, let him alone. That's even sadder. <laughs> That's a sad statement. Hey, he's, he's in his sin. Leave him alone. When God says, leave him alone, that's painful. They are now completely in judgment. Their drink is sour. Much of their reveling, much of their celebrating in these orgies of, of uh, of worship, as it were, these sexual orgies and all of these things that are going on as their religion. Uh, there's a lot of drinking that goes on as well. What God is saying is their drink is sour. It's no good. It's no good. They have committed whoredom continually. Her rulers with shame do love. Give ye. The wind has bound up bound her up in her wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Going back to verse 15 about, about Judah. 
the Lord issued a strong warning to Judah and, and through them to all other nations. They needed to flee the sins of Israel. It goes without saying that Israel and Judah were continually watching each other through the events taking place within the other nation. The people of Judah knew that Israel had become very prosperous and that the people were carousing in the comfort of material wealth and in their carnal fleshly pleasures of this world. And so, so the Lord warned Judah not to follow the evil example of Israel or they too would face judgment that was coming to the northern kingdom. The people were not to go to the places of false worship. They were not to go to Gilgal or Beth Aven. Gilgal, which by the way, the word itself comes from the word Galgal, which means uh, wheel, at one time had been a true worship center where God's word was faithfully preached and taught. You can do a word search in, 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 in your Bible uh, program and, and find a number of references to Gilgal and, and, and realize that at one time, you know, Elisha and Elijah had been there and, and just on and on and on. Others way before that too. Uh, but tragically, it was now a center for false hypo hypocritical worship and teachings. Beth Aven, which is actually the town of Bethel, and this was just north of Judah. So it was in the northern kingdom, just barely, but it was in the northern kingdom, close enough for people if they, w they wanted to in the south to come up to it. But, but Beth Aven had also been a true place of worship in the past, but now it too was corrupt. It had become a center for false worship. In fact, the Lord, through Hosea, changed the name from Bethel, house of God, to Beth Aven, which means house of deceit, house of evil, house of idolatry, house of vanity, house of unrighteousness. Take your pick. One or all. Bethel or Beth Aven were was the area that Jeroboam, after the nation was divided into the northern and southern kingdoms, that was where he set up the golden calf. The other location was located, of course, in the north in Dan. Now the downward spiral began there for Israel in Beth Aven. The Lord's warning was clear and it was straightforward. The people of Judah must not go to those places of false worship lest they be influenced to turn away from the Lord and worship false gods. So the Lord then likened Israel then to a, as I said, a backsliding heifer. And that was significant, uh, this is a significant description since Israel's chief idol was a golden calf. Hosea, having been a man of the country, uh, you know, he was like a farmer, you know, he knew the country pretty well. Uh, he had probably seen many stubborn and untamed animals pull back from the yoke when they could. And if they could not avoid the yoke, they would pull sideways and backward. Israel was just like them. Judah had, in the mercy of God, been pulled back from the abyss, so to speak, but let her beware of falling back into sin and iniquity again. They, they were also to separate from idolaters and leave them alone. Ephraim was the, the most prominent and influential tribe of the northern kingdom, and therefore it was often used to represent the whole nation. Tragically, the people had become so rooted in idolatry that there was no hope of their ever repenting or turning back to the Lord. And therefore God warned the citizens of Judah they were not to venture into Israel. All diligence was to be used to guard against the evil influence of false worship. This was not anything they didn't know. In fact, it should have been ingrained in their minds and hearts. Remember Exodus chapter 20? You know Exodus 20 where the, the Ten Commandments were given you know, to Moses there? In Exodus 20 verses 3 through 5, listen, it says, they shall, I'm sorry, thou shall have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any, unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. I'm really having to say this real quickly, but, but you know, I'm really sorry if you, if you like Oprah Winfrey. I really am. I'm very sorry that you like her, but, you know, she herself says she has some, you know, Christian roots and all, 
And yet I remember hearing her one time talk about the fact that when she heard that the Bible says that God is a jealous God, oh, she just went like, whoa, that, that can't possibly be, you know, how can they write that? That's, that's the problem with the, with the Bible today, you know, that as so many men write the Bible and they put this in there. No, God's a jealous God. <laughs> all the praise and all the worship and all the glory and all the honor needs to go to him. Leviticus 26, verse 1. I'm going to go over just a little bit, just a little. You shall make you no idols nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 21 is the word of God. It is the law of God. Deuteronomy 11, verse 16. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Why then are there people today in the, in, the, in the emerging church going around saying, listen, you know, the Bible is, you know, those people that, that are always in the Bible, you know, they're, 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 not, they're not opening themselves up to other good forms of, of communication with the Buddhists and with, with Hindus and, and with, the, with the Muslims. And we need to be open. We need to kind of, you know, here's a, there's a good reason why we shouldn't. We can love them. We can respect them as people created by God, but we don't need to know anything about a religion or their religions that are completely opposed to the one true God of the scriptures. So this, again, is one of those burdens that I, that I have. Lastly, I gotta finish. Lastly, Hosea's homeland was very much like our homeland. Hosea lived in a very pornographic society in which those who should have been on the side of biblical morality and simple decency supported permissiveness and upheld every form of moral and religious decadence, debauchery, and depravity. Sadly, there was no hope. Israel had long since sown the wind and was now about to reap the whirlwind. All there was ahead was doom. The Hebrew word, by the way, for ruler that you find there uh, in verse 18, the Hebrew word for ruler is the word magen. Magen, it is, it's used in, in various ways. Uh, magen David, uh, Mogen David. Um, I'm not talking about the wine, I'm talking about, <laughs> but the, 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 it's the symbol of Israel. It's the, it's the six-pointed star. The, uh, that's, that's the Magen, uh, literally. But literally, what it means is shield or protector. It literally means shield or protector. So the leaders of Israel were to shield and protect the people by being a positive influence, a godly influence, a righteous influence, and leading them in the things of God. But these priests and prophets were anything but that. And so we find then the reason for their judgment.